The Athletic. Would you like to reach hundreds of thousands of Athletic subscribers? <laughs> Who wouldn't? Our lot are great. They're intelligent. They have demonstrably long attention spans for all of those long reads. And that means they're almost certainly the ABC ones you're looking for. Imagine your brand front and centre on the Totally Football Show, or Talk of the Devils, or Football Clichés. You can advertise with us now. Our highly skilled and effortlessly charming commercial team are waiting to hear from you, whether you want a single ad on View From The Lane or full title sponsorship on our Women's World Cup show. We've got something for everyone. Contact partnerships at theathletic.com. That's partnerships at theathletic.com. Football show today. Deadpool shows up in the FA Cup and loses 2 1 away at Brighton. Elsewhere, former X Man sees his Rexham play entertainingly with the Blades, much like he does in his movies. We'll be talking about events at the Racecourse Ground and City Arsenal and Grimsby and Spurs and Sunderland and much more in this Totally Football Show. Monday 30th of January, Daniel Story. Hello, Daniel. Good morning, James. Uh, good morning to you, Tim Spears. Hi, James. Good morning to you, Tim Spears. And Liam Tharm joining us. Liam. Hello, how are you? Very well, thank you. Unlike Tim Spears, Tim? Sort of like 80% fit, James, but you know. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be all right for the first hour and then, and then we'll see how it goes after that. Have you got cup fever? That's it. That's what Preston nil, Spurs three does to you. All right. I look forward to feeling some of the effects of that secondhand later on. We're going to have Liam raving about Brighton. We're going to have uh, Daniel's thoughts on that keenly anticipated City Arsenal clash and so much more. Probably also get a bit of a chat about Everton. They've had they've got a new manager. I think probably by the time you hear this, it'll be official. Is it Marcelo Bielsa or the man often described as the? The Burnley Marcelo Bielsa, Sean Dyche. It's, it's Sean Dyche, isn't it? <laughs> it is Sean Dyche, yeah. Spoiler alert, mm-hmm. it's Sean Dyche. Um, yeah, which I think if your two options are as a club, if, you, if you've come to a, you know, you've done this huge managerial search and you've come down to two options that you are sure that either of them will be perfect and one of them is Bielsa and one of them is Sean Dyche, it probably says something about your approach to that managerial search. But I think they, they, they probably have landed on the right answer for the now uh and i mean we were told that their their biggest worry about dice was like you know what about the long term and it kind of made me laugh in that it seems like the first time anyone's thought about everton's long term for about <laughs> half a decade so yeah if that's the issue then we they're probably all right i, I dispute this notion that everton are necessarily badly run just because their two candidates are wildly diverse managerial options have you i mean we've all been in a restaurant and you know Wanted the fish, but been tempted by the the burger. No, and uh, they're both they're both right options in different ways. Surely, uh, yeah. No? I mean, I, I mean, I wrote a piece on Dice last week, and I kind of married up the same equation. I went for kind of chicken farl or beans on toast. It was a bit more of a like a diverse end of the spectrum than than chicken or fish. Um, I just yeah, I just don't know where they're at at all as a club. Um, right. I, I think that squad is miles better than. Lampard made it look and I think Dice will probably be the perfect manager sort of you look at kind of little 
elements of the squad, you know, Tarkovsky and Cody and Michael Keane, who he knows as well. And then you look at, you know, kind of more paying Calvert-Lewin is a, a kind of Ashley Barnes, Chris Wood upgrade maybe. And you've got mm. the wingers and Dwight McNeil's going to see him. Looking yeah, forward to seeing well, how he yeah, does you've got the Anthony Gordon money, <laughs> which is the big, that's the big thing. Is it sounds like they're going to let him to spend 40 million in two days, which is a kind of supermarket sweep I'd pay to watch. Um, See, so yeah, I think they'll be fine. I really do. Okay, I'm picturing Sean Dyche in a supermarket with an actual trolley and 45 million. I'm wondering what the contents of said trolley would be. But what's what's he going to wear? That's the question. Is he is he going to is is this a new cliche now with the with the tight white shirt in in the cold weather? Um, I, I hope not because he's becoming a bit of a caricature in in a, in a big Sam sort of way. And he's becoming a bit of a cliché survival specialist. And and the other thing that's happening is that Everton are becoming Sunderland in the early sort of 2010s, where they're struggling every season. They change their manager halfway. They end up staying up. And then come October, November, December next year, they'll get bored of Dyche and, and, and fans won't be happy with him and they'll change the manager again. I mean, it was. I think it was David Moyes who eventually took Sunderland down after after ten years of that purgatory, um, and yet Everton reportedly did want to hire him uh, this season, which which would have set alarm bells ringing for me. But um, but yeah, uh, it feels like a short term solution. But I I, th- I think as 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 Daniel seems to be saying, uh, I agree that they will stay up. Mm, a short term solution, but a solution. Liam, are we a little bit? Um we're a little bit prejudiced, do you think, about Sean Dyche, about Dyche ball? You know, Tim calling a bit of a caricature there. I mean, perhaps. I think he's become quite an acquired taste. Uh, definitely not not for everyone. I remember um, Michael Cox wrote a piece a little while ago sort of looking at how they were really the last long ball team um, in sort of the Premier League. But I think it's important to look at the squad they've got. I know he's literally worked with some of these players before, um, but they probably suit a direct approach um, and at least have got you know a good defensive unit. I watched their game against City recently when they drew one all. I think they, they scored one goal from sort of two shots and it was a really, really good goal. But defensively, they were largely quite sound. Um, so there's there's good foundations there, and I think everyone enjoyed seeing them sort of drag themselves out of this mess a year ago. Um, obviously, Goodison Park I know can be quite literally a cauldron of noise, um, for better or for worse sort of thing. Um, so yeah, as, as Tim you know said that their their squad is good, it's definitely good enough. But I think the the base of everyone's squad in the league has definitely gone up. You look at West Ham and other teams around them, and you go, there's so much quality there. There's internationals that we've watched at the World Cup, and you go, how are all these teams in this mess? Um, particularly when you compare to teams further up the league that maybe haven't got that individual quality, but are a coherent, functioning team um, that are getting more results on a consistent basis. Mm. Oh, perhaps Everton will be joining that happy band. All right, well, uh, more to come, no doubt, on the Toffees. But for now, on to FA Cup Fours round. No giant killings this weekend. The only Premier League sides to tumble came at the hands of fellow uh, Premier League sides. Man City, for example, beating Arsenal 1-0 on Friday. Brighton knocking out holders Liverpool 2-1 on Sunday. Leicester, Leeds and Spurs all getting through their ties. A cup performance of the weekend came at the racecourse ground where National League Wrexham almost put out Sheffield United. We were just two places below the Premier League in a six-goal thriller before the Blades' stoppage time equaliser. That'll go to a replay, as will almost half of this weekend's ties. Uh, Sheffield Wednesday and Fleetwood, Blackburn and Birmingham, Ipswich and Burnley, Luton and Grimsby, and Fulham and Sunderland. Monday night, we'll have the draw for the fifth round, followed by Derby against West Ham. We start with Sunday afternoon, Wrexham 3, Sheffield United 3. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network and sponsored by Live Score Bet. 
You can get the latest football betting odds at livescorebet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Here comes Sheffield United's corner from the right. Doyle into the air. It's going to be yes! by John Egan! John Egan at the back post! You can hear the silence from the home fans! Yeah, that was Sheffield United 3. Courtesy of John Egan ruining the hashtag uh, script. With that 95th minute equaliser, what what an extraordinary uh, match of football this was! Yeah, I think we're all tired of talking about FA Cup magic, definitely. But it's definitely also fair to say that the cup has changed, and I think the two tie type of ties that are the best now are upwardly mobile, inform non-league team against championship team because it's a legitimate upset if they get a result, but they're not just going to get swatted aside by a Premier League team and. Big club in League One against Premier League team. And I'm at that tonight in Derby West Ham. I think they're the two best type of ties now. And this lived up to that billing perfectly because Wrexham are uh, an astonishing football team to watch at the moment. I did a, like a long read on them, went to Wrexham the other week. And there's a, there is a genuine buzz about the football club in the town now. And I know it's a, it's a kind of sort of celebrity ownership and a, a foreign ownership and a kind of almost unique style of of ownership in that, that you know there's, there's an associated documentary series and so on and so forth and yet it still feels very real it still feels very kind of in inverted commas proper football and that was a proper football tie it was everything you want for an FA Cup game kind of just sort of on pitch madness nonsense red cards everything brilliant it even had a it even had a tin foil cup with f- the Tories written on it <laughs> Yeah, I saw the Torres on the uh, on the Tim Fall FA Cup. I didn't know it was Ferran's or Fernando's brother. A message uh, previously celebrated, of course, on Paul Mullins' boots. Controversially, he he took to the field this time round with an autism awareness symbol, and also wearing noise cancelling headphones after his son Albie was uh, diagnosed with autism uh, the the previous week, and had late on put Wrexham on course for a three two win before. Uh, Egan's late, late, late equaliser. Liam, what did you what did you make of Wrexham? What do you make of their chances of being able to reproduce this magic as well at Bramall Lane? It, it always feels more difficult when you haven't got the, the home field advantage. Um, I think Mullen's a really interesting case study for, for Wrexham as sort of a club. He was top scorer for Cambridge. I think he got 30-odd goals and they went up uh, either a couple of seasons ago now um, and then obviously quite controversially took a couple steps down um, to the National League and was, was quite quickly branded with oh you're just doing this for the money um, and it's obviously now sort of been a, a feature on their, their sort of documentary side of things so I think he sort of shows what they're, what they're building and the good thing for I think works at the moment is you don't look at this game as they need this. This is sort of a, they have to do this now. They look like we've said they're on the upper trajectory. Um, definitely harder to do without the atmosphere um, and, the, and the home field advantage. I think the pitch didn't look great and maybe played into their hands a little bit. Um, I noticed how sort of narrow the pitch was as well uh, in, in terms of width and they had so much space. They, they had a bombardment of long throws. Um, of course, they, they scored from one and, and looked a real good threat from set pieces. So, yeah, maybe uh, maybe if the Chef United have got any sense, they'll make that pitch as wide as possible um, and then mm-hmm. uh, try to keep the ball and play a bit more. Bentoza with those phenomenal lobs, uh, which presumably is going to be a weapon at, at, at Bramall Lane as well. He also uh, saw the blades reduced to 10 men after Daniel Jebison was sent off for kicking him, kicking him off the ball. What a display. I mean, we should we should praise the, the blades for, for kind of sticking at it and getting that late equaliser. But equally, 
Wrexham, the way the game began with it, conceding that goal about a minute in, then losing both of their both of their centre halves. Yeah, that was in, in in the first ten minutes they conceded a goal and lost two players to injury. And and obviously the atmosphere which was so key to uh the game for Wrexham was just completely popped at that point. So full credit to them. The the long throws and the set pieces played a big part of that, and that's why I think that they will have a chance in in, in the replay. I mean we saw at Coventry as well. Um they'll certainly take a few thousand up to Bramall Lane. But will Ryan Reynolds be there? That's that's the question. I, I switched on five minutes before uh, kickoff, and uh, the cameras were just starting to sort of pan around the ground and the and the and the, and the stands, etc. And then between then and the fifth minute of the game, Ryan Reynolds had been shown five times in ten minutes on on camera. Literally any incident that happened, including uh, a player walking off injured, that they, they would go straight to Reynolds to see his his reaction, and obviously you know. Stoic applause for an injured player going off as wow, um, but yeah, it's um, it's impressive for him to, to to be there. I know it's all part of the documentary for him to be watching, etc. But it shows great commitment. I think he's he literally flew in for the game and then flew back again. And um, I watched back his interview with with Gary Lineker on BBC um, last night, and you can tell um, this isn't this isn't just doesn't seem like it's going to be a short term fix. They're in there for the long term, and they've definitely bought into the as Daniel will know, having written about it. Um, the culture of the city and the community and um yeah it's, it feels like a long-term project all right there's a, i mean he sounds convincing and it's not like he's paid to say words convincingly for for a living or anything so i think we can all be confident that he's no but he's it certainly seems like his heart's <laughs> oh, in the right James. place uh th- there thing. you go all right well wrexham's xg was 3.2 sheffield united's was 0.8 nancy frostick saying on thursday pointing out that uh Big Wrexham games always seem to get loads of goals. This certainly fitted that that model. Of course, they've been four three winners at Coventry, which Tim was referencing in the last round. In fact, they are now the first non-league team ever, niche stat ahoy, to score three goals or more in four consecutive games in the FA Cup proper. What do you make of that? I don't Mm. quite know yet. I'm not sure either. (laughs) All right. Well, there you go. Anyway, it was terrific fun. And the second pretty entertaining match on Sunday, because earlier on, down at the Amex on Sunday Sunday lunchtime, we had Brighton 2, Liverpool 1. Liam's beloved Brighton beating Liverpool again for the second time in, what, two weeks? Liam, how, how good a day was this? Was it even better than the 3-0 in the league? Uh, yes and no. I think any late drama, as we've seen in quite a few games, is, is good. There's, you know, the, the ways you want to win a game ideally are really convincingly, which was more so uh, in the Premier League fixture earlier on the season where it was up to sort of 2-3-0 um, fairly sort of early mid- midway through the game. Um, Liverpool definitely had a lot more control this time. They definitely improved sort of their structure defensively. Um, they weren't sort of getting pulled apart as much in wide areas, but there was no Adam Lallana this time and the way that Robert Zerbi went sort of around that was uh, he tried playing Danny Wolf back with Evan Ferguson which is you know almost sort of 4-4-2 um, which isn't really sort of the way that he's approached things before and uh, the game sort of changed really when Billy Gilmore came on um, I think and actually it looked quite defensive as a sub to bring on a midfielder uh, but that allowed Alexis McAllister to sort of push forward and then you've really got Karen Matoma in particular sort of higher and wider on the left um, and of course he uh, ends up scoring the, the winning goal and I think his composure is incredible but Probably should have set up the winner. Uh, I think about 20 minutes before when he had that really good outside the boot cross uh, for Solly Marchu. Incredible somehow shot. The shot came back off. Allison hit him and went out for a goal kick. Uh, 
Um, mm. So I don't think Liverpool were, were too terrible, but that that must really sort of, um, I think, be even more of a sickener to play a bit better and then lose so late on must be quite disheartening. Um, cool. And it's the first time in the season they'd won all 12 games when going ahead. So the first time they've really sort of capitulated, if you want to call it that. Right. OK, it's the first time that they've been ahead in the game and, and, and not gone on to win. Crikey. It, your favourite club, Daniel, your favourite player, uh, Karu Mitoma. Yeah. Mitoma Corner. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's a, there's almost no point. There's nothing else to say. It's just every week. And, and what we did say last week is that in the early weeks of, of his time in England, when he, he hadn't started much, he was a, clearly a surprise factor. Now he's not a surprise factor. He looks like a player who is a surprise factor in that when you work out what he's going to do, you can find out a way to stop him. But managers know what he's going to do now. Liverpool know what he's going to do because he tore them apart in the 3-0. And then he's still the most important player against Trent Alexander-Arnold, against James Milner. It doesn't matter. He still he just makes defenders look silly. There was quite often on, on Sunday, a centre-half, as soon as he would get the ball, a centre-half would race out to that side to try and kind of double up. And he just makes them. He just makes the gaps look bigger than they are by ghosting through them. I mean, the composure for that goal is just remarkable. Drifted in towards Dunk, but it's Comfort. It's Tupinian, and now Mitoma. And surely the winning goal, Karol Mitoma. It's not a kind of goal I've you really see very often. Um, well, the curious of... thing is that. Um... Victor Osimhen scored something really similar on on Sunday night in uh, to open up the scoring in, in Napoli's two one win over yeah. over Roma. But uh, Mitoma's I think was was maybe better. It, it makes it look like he's slowed down time for about two seconds, and everyone else is reacting on kind of half speed, and he's just like, yeah, you just do this. It's, it's it's actually really easy. You just nick it and then kick it straight away, and the keeper won't expect it to come. It's like. Why have I not seen lots of goals like that? Because it's an incredibly efficient way of shooting before the keeper's set. Well, he, he flicks it up with the same boot that he then scores mm. with, no? Yeah. yeah. Magnificent. Yeah, kind of dummy, dummy shot, but with a little flick, yeah. Wow. It's incredibly right-footed, yeah. He is incredible to watch. I can, yeah. I mean, obviously the jokes are who's going to sign him for 50 million, who's going to sign mm. him, blah, blah, blah. But I've seen a lot about people sort of saying, well, what about the scouting? Why they, you know, why can't we buy that? Why can't... The reality is, is that lots of clubs have got very, very good scouting networks, which Brighton are one. They've just got an environment in which those players thrive, and that's what other clubs don't have. And it's, yeah, it's, it's, it really warms the heart until someone comes along and tells you they're going to buy your best player, whatever. Well, yeah. Although Brighton's resilience in the face of so many departures is is one of the stories of the season. Mitoma is only uh, only arrived for two point five million, which is just extraordinary. Just extraordinary. It, Thursday, in fact, we were talking about Brighton as potential dark horses for this con- competition. But for context, Liam, since the start of this season, Seagulls have lost what? Manager, most of his backroom staff, key people in the rec- recruitment, biggest name defender, main midfielder, top scorer as well. Who else? Yeah. Now you've got Moses Casado, who's who's out of the team and, and heading off to yeah. not sure where. Yeah, we had Ben White go sort of a season ago as well. So yeah, they uh, they keep leaving and they keep joining, sort of thing. It's um, it's it's incredible. I don't really know if he can sustain this level of performance with so many you know uh, ingoings and outgoings, but um, it, it's clearly a sustainable model. I think we're seeing that, and it's you know that that's what Tony Bloom does. That's what he's, he's built this whole um, sort of club from. The I think I've seen a lot of people now retrospectively posting the stats and some of the data from when Matoma was in Japan and like. 
that this was good, but it wasn't maybe that niche a buy. It's maybe weird for a Western club to venture into some of those um, some of those leagues. But you look at his stats when he's out in Japan, and you know they are top one two percent of all players um, for you know all the underlying numbers as well as goals and assists. So um, these aren't you know hidden players. They just clubs sometimes I guess aren't incentivized to look there because they don't always want to go direct to the place. You know, let Brighton buy that player, develop him for two seasons, then we'll take him when he's the the developed article, which is fair. I don't expect Arsenal or Man City to go shopping uh, in those leagues when other clubs will will do the development for them. As Liam says, the amazing thing is not that they get those players because they are a natural breeding ground. They, that We've seen clubs across Europe like that, Norgeland jump out as the obvious example. Clubs are happy to pay a premium because they've already been developed. Um, the amazing thing is that they're sixth in the Premier League doing it because it's one thing to do that, but it, inevitably that gives you a natural ceiling and Brighton don't seem to have a natural ceiling. They're better than Liverpool now. So it's 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 that is that is the thing that blows my mind. Yeah, this this wasn't a shock at all. I fully expected Brian to, to to win this game. Um, and the fact that Liverpool, you know, just a few months ago were close to not not just winning a few trophies, but footballing immortality. You know, that's that they almost reached perfection last season, and one of the most expensively assembled teams in the world. Um, it's remarkable, really. I mean, it also shows how far Liverpool have have fallen in a few months. But I'm so glad that Brighton won this because. There were two. It, it, it was all set up for for everyone, everyone just be talking about the referee after the game for these mm. two ridiculous moments of injustice. I don't understand how either of these, these decisions were made, and there will be a much bigger deal being made out of this if Matoma um, hadn't scored the winner. Canate and Fabinho should should both have been off the field. I really, I just don't see. I, I, I don't know if you guys agree, but I don't see any other way that that those decisions can can reach that those conclusions. Um, yeah. I think it, we talk about. The, the re-refereeing that we don't want to see. And then there's that horrible grey area now, which is the the overturning the referee's decision. If the referee's seen it, the VAR doesn't want to overturn, but maybe the referee thinks, well, I'll give a yellow and let VAR have a look at it. That creates a, a, a grey area in which inevitably shocking decisions happen and it completely incorrect. I mean, Fabinho almost started walking off the pitch, didn't he? He did the sorry of a red car, but not quite start walking off the pitch. But, but I, I feel yeah. like his, his, his remorse and his apology, I don't know, did that have something to do with, with, with the decision? Because he looked he look so he looked so sorry. Well, if he just kind of said, oh, I'll have that, mate, and then spat on the floor, I think he would have got a red card. <laughs> yeah, yeah his, his face, I think, looked a picture of someone who, as soon as he'd done it, it, it you know, been reckless. And it was a really nasty, nasty tackle. I think um, McCoy's reaction in particular was, you know, and this shouldn't play into it, but but knowing Evan and Ferguson, you know, young, he's a teenager, he's eighteen, is a really horrible tackle to to put on a player of that age. I know as a referee, you're meant to be unbiased; it doesn't matter who it's to. But um, I thought in particular that that was quite ugly, and I I actively don't like to you know sort of give referees stick because I think for the most part they're they're generally quite good and get often overanalyzed. But there were quite a few in this in this game where you think. I'm not sure about that. Um, mm. And I think he left the ground on crutches as well, Andy Ada said. So obviously, hopefully, that's just precautionary. Um, he, he'd kind of hobbled off. So yeah, fingers crossed it's not too significant. And I agree, sort of, it's good having Matoma then score the winner because it, it sort of glosses over all of that and we can move past it. Absolutely. Liverpool, as you say, Tim, not long ago, they're eyeing up a quadruple. They've now won just one of their six games in all competitions in 2023. Their only hope of silverware this year now is the Champions League, in which they'll be facing holders, Real Madrid, in the last 16, which usually goes well for them. All righty. We'll talk more about the FA Cup after this. This is the Totally Football Show, sponsored by LiveScore Bet. 
With BetBuilder from LiveScore Bet, you can combine markets from thousands of options to create your own bet on the biggest football fixtures in the Premier League, the Champions League, the EFL and around the world. So if you think you can successfully pick the first goal scorer, the final score, the total number of corners and whether there'll be a red card, then use BetBuilder from LiveScore Bet to make up to six selections and get a single bet with the combined odds. Or if you can't make up your mind, you can choose from the pre-built quick bet options. BetBuilder from LiveScore Bet. Building a bet just got easier. Find out more at LiveScoreBet.com or by downloading the LiveScore Bet app on Android and iPhone. It's over 18s only. Full account terms apply. And of course, please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Hello, I'm Mark Chapman, host of the Athletic Football Podcast. It's the final week of January and uh, that sound you can hear is clubs frantically trying to get deals over the line before the deadline closes on Tuesday night. Uh, myself, David Ornstein, Adam Crafton and our raft of club experts will be all across the biggest moves this week and we'll discuss the fallout when the window shuts. So just search for the Athletic Football Podcast on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to your pods. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Bill Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Put together Duncan Alexander, Raphael Honigstein, and James Horncastle for a live, unrecorded, and off-the-record chat. What do you get? You can find out, listener. If you hurry along to leicestersquaretheatre.com and snaffle up a ticket for the Totally Football Show live at said venue, which is happening on the 4th of April. You can hear what happens when uh, Jules and Alvaro join uh, Rafa and James in this week's Totally Football Show European edition, meanwhile, on Tuesday. They'll be discussing such diverse topics as Milan's collapse. Ooh, Top five separated by just three points in Germany. PSG dropping points again, held by Will Stills, Reims, and and more. Uh, Liam, you were at uh, the Stadio Olimpico on Tuesday for for that extraordinary Lazio four Milan nil game. Yeah, no, that that was a great watch. It was um, a weird Premier League throwback. There was Pedro out on the right for for Lazio and uh, Felipe Anderson in a false nine role that I'd never seen before and a. Uh, Unfortunately, Tamori went off injured, but yeah, they, they kept getting pulled apart. It, it was cutback central, both sides. Um, yeah, it, it was an incredible watch. Right. I mean, Milan's collapse of late. So that prior to that, they'd lost 3-0 against rivals Inter in the Super Cup. They then lost 4-0 against Lazio. This weekend, they were at home to Sassuolo, who hadn't won a, a game in Serie A since October. They won this one, 5-2 at San Siro. We'll, we'll have some wild conjecture in Tuesday's show, but... Looking at some of those Milan players' performances, looks like something very wrong has happened in the in the dressing room. But yeah. Anyway, lots of that sort of thing on Tuesday. Back to the FA Cup, though, eh? Friday night, Daniel, you were at the Etihad for that whopping Man City Arsenal clash. I mentioned before, there's a lot of anticipation for this. Did it live up to it? Uh, not really. No. Um, I think partly by design from Mikel Arteta, who made a number of changes, which felt almost like a psychological move that if if we hold our own and win with this team it's a, a huge psychological advantage and if we go out the cup it isn't in, in in recent seasons the FA Cup has been Arsenal's kind of safe space almost um they don't really need it 
this season. Um, they don't really need the Europa League either. So, yeah, it felt like a team designed to cope with Manchester City and not suffer a kind of heavy beating. And they were the better team for, for plenty of the game. We saw kind of standard first half Manchester City, albeit with a few direct long balls from Stefan Ortega to Erling Haaland thrown in. And then, as ever, Pep Guardiola made changes at half-time, shifted around the attack and City looked better second half. I, I almost... I'm almost wondering if that's a deliberate thing now to kind of surprise teams in the second half, at the start of the second half. Um, I really like Julian Alvarez playing with Erling Haaland and I find it fascinating because 20 years ago, they would be a perfect big man, little man partnership, a kind of Niall Quinn and Kevin Phillips partnership. Watching them now, they're two strikers and they play completely separately. I watched them against Forest early in the season and they, City won 6-0. They scored five goals between them and they didn't play a pass between each other. So normally you'd expect a strike partnership to kind of play off each other. Haaland wins ahead header. Julian Alvarez is nipping in behind. Haaland holds it off, lays it off. They don't. They all just get service in the midfielders. And it's really fun to watch. And I think teams have not quite worked out how to do it yet. I know they didn't score in this one, but it, it was Alvarez breaking clear, him having the shot. Two defenders looking after Haaland, which means Alvarez has got a bit of space to run into and shoots, hits the post, and then they work the rebound. And it's just, yeah, it's really fun to watch. So that was the thing I kind of took from it because... Yeah, Arsenal fans were loving it, but they were basically there to chant, we are top of the league at Manchester City fans, and mm. that was a good night. Indeed. Uh, you say they work the rebound. Uh, let, let's talk a little bit about Jack Grealish, who's uh, often, I think, unappreciated in terms of Man City big signings, but his work, keeping that alive for Nathan Aki, was, was, was pretty sumptuous. He also is better in the second half, I think, because um, he tends to get fouled three or four times, and then as soon as he gets the ball in the area... Defenders know that they can't tackle him and he did a kind of give the whole dancing feet. And I've never, I've rarely seen a man more surprised to score a goal with their right foot than Nathan Ake. Who I think he said it's the first goal I've ever scored with my right foot. And it was a lovely finish, kind of tidy, curled, low finish. Um, but yeah, basically both teams got what they came for. Hmm. I mean, I still might have liked to get the win, but you, you don't see it as disastrous or psychologically damaging ahead of the, the league clashes. No, no, Daniel's shaking his head. No. All right. I think it's useful more than anything. Um, I don't think they need this as a competition. Like us with the Europa League, I think they genuinely will benefit from being out of it um, and having just a league to focus on. Yeah. Um, I don't think it'll have any... I mean, this game could have had an impact on, on the forthcoming league clashes and, and the title race. If it had been, you know, a tempestuous encounter with a bit of needle or a big win one way or the other, but I think Daniel's nailed it, really. Both teams sort of got what they came for. City's reaction to... Pep's uh, bombshell comments after that Spurs game uh, about 10 days ago has been pretty good. Two fairly remarkable and straightforward home wins over over uh, Wolves and Arsenal. A um, couple of clean sheets. In fact, Daniel, it, it didn't really come across too well on the telly, but how was how was the atmosphere at the Etihad? Was it was it any noisy? It was, it, no, it was, it was quite reasonably subdued, although a kind of FA Cup caveat on that, I suppose. You, you, there are a lot of... These are the games where people who don't get to go to Manchester City games very often will come and buy a, a cup ticket. Uh, I, I also think for for FA Cup games, especially at the Etihad, because how they you get the bigger away support and it kind of almost fills the South Stand. The Arsenal fans were really loud, and as I say, they basically came to chant, "We are top of the league" at Manchester City fans in case they don't get to do it after this season, <laughs> and did it for most of the night and enjoyed themselves. So great. Oh, nice one. Danny, what did you make of uh, Leandro Trossard's first start for the Gunners? Yeah, he, he, he looked um, 
really bright. He looked he looked like a surprise factor in that um, teams are not as sure how he's going to play. He plays slightly different to Martinelli. He tends to come inside a lot more. He slightly tailed off as the game went on, which is is fair enough. But yeah, he's clearly a. Uh, if not an upgrade on the first team, he's clearly going to be a, an important player in the second half of the season. Just for taking on players, he, he was taking on Rico Lewis quite a lot uh, and then kind of pushing inside. Had that shot that was saved by Stefan Ortega, who, by the way, I thought was probably the game's best player. He looked like a kind of Edison, a mini Edison in the way he, particularly towards the end, he was rushing out and smothering the ball at, at strikers' feet and stuff. So, yeah, he was probably the game's best player. But Trossard was, yeah, he was bright and he'll, he'll clearly have an impact. He he is an Arsenal player. Mm, certainly is. These two sides will be meeting again on uh, Wednesday fortnight, two weeks on Wednesday. Uh, that's at the Emirates in the Premier League. Uh, next weekend, Arsenal will be having Everton. And City will be facing Spurs, who, Tim, you went to Preston to see in action. Preston, where the sun was shining, Tim. Yeah, it was an absolutely miserable evening, I've got to say. Misty, rainy, cold. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, a typically awful uh, Spurs first half where they did absolutely nothing of note, but did sort of ease ease past them relatively comfortably in the second half. Um there was a real gulf, a massive gulf between the two teams um, in terms of technique, how they move the ball, how they get the ball upfield, how they create chances. And it was really interesting to see that because Preston are two points off the playoffs in the, in the in the championship, and you'd think that they that they'd be um, able to at least you know land a glove on Spurs. It's testament to to the to the job that Ryan Lowe's doing there because without any parachute money, you know, they're they're really batting above their weight against the teams around them. Um Spurs made a few changes for this game and, and, and were comfortably the better team. And it was only a matter of time before they did their second half thing as usual. With a couple of goals from Son, which is unusual for this season. It's only the fourth game he's scored in for club and country from thirty one appearances, believe it or not. He just hasn't looked the same player at all. And, you know, the longer it's gone on, you start to question whether it is just confidence or whether he's just not going to be the same player he has been for the past few years now. Now, now he's sort of getting the wrong side of 30. So, But the, the, the two goals he scored, I mean, we've had this with Son a couple of times this season where he's scored and you think, oh, here we go, Son's back. But it's mostly been later in games on the counter-attack when he scored those goals, which, of course, is his favourite thing to do. Whereas these are a little bit different, a real moment of brilliance from 30 yards. And then the second goal was the one that really made me think okay this this bodes well for him because it was a beautiful touch uh spins his man and then finds the bottom corner so um yeah a, f- a few a few promising signs for spurs after what's been uh, a really difficult few months and they also got a third goal from their new signing Arnaut Danjuma well this guy uh so um I wrote a piece on him last week and spoke to a few uh people about his career and uh, how do I put this one thing constantly comes across in terms of his sort of attitude, I guess, or his his personality um, with overconfidence and uh, bordering on arrogance pretty much at every turn. And he's had fallouts with teammates and, you know, accused of sort of not defending, not being able to track back. Eddie Howard dropped him at Bournemouth for that reason. So he's a character, James. That's what we say, isn't it? He's a character. Mm. And in 19 minutes, he touched the ball three times. He scored one goal. And then he spent the rest of the time absolutely berating his new teammates, ordering them where to defend, flailing his arms around when he didn't get a pass. He was, honestly, the guy's going to be absolute box office, but, you know, he's he's been brought in to score and, and he did that with one of his three touches. So, um, but it'll be interesting to see how he how he fits in, mm-hmm. particularly how, how he gets on with Antonio Conte, because that doesn't feel like a match made in heaven to me whatsoever. 
All right. Harry Kane left on the bench for this one, getting a bit of a rest ahead of that big game next weekend against City. Elsewhere, Saturday, oh, we very nearly got the story of the round in Fulham's 1-1 draw with Sunderland. I'm referring to 15-year-old Chris Rigg, who we thought had scored the winner for the Black Hats away at Craven Cottage, but it was ruled out fairly, unfortunately. So we ended up with a 1-1 draw. Good stuff from uh, Sunderland. Yeah, who have basically undergone a revolution in the last couple of years. We had one of the oldest teams in the championship, oldest squads in the championship a couple of years ago, and now they are. You know, I know Rig is a very extreme example of this, but they are, I think, pretty much the youngest team in the championship. Uh, they're playing really nice football. The injury to Ross Stewart is potentially massive. You know, I know we talk about weakened teams and it being a shame, but there is a reason for it because when something like that happens and potentially derails a, a promotion campaign and playoff campaign, then yeah, that's that's huge news. They maybe they've got a little bit of time. I know that they're, they're signing uh, Joe Gelhart on loan from Leeds, I think. So that's an option, but yeah, it's a huge blow on their season. But uh, yeah, the other thing is um, Ahmed Diallo, who looks he's looking handy on loan from Manchester United. I, yeah, I've been wincing at that fee that United pay for quite a long time and I'm not quite sure where his pathway is at United now, but he, he is doing really well at Sunderland. Chris Rigg, how close would he be to being the youngest FA Cup player in the in the modern era? 15 years old. He would have been the only 15-year-old to score in FA Cup history. Wow. Uh, the, the youngest is, is a apparently, I looked this up earlier, a, a, a guy called Finn Smith from the Isle of Wight who scored the day after his 16th birthday. So. Oh, I think we can say that that was in the early rounds. So, yeah, 15 right. when, years when old. When was that then, Daniel? Was that, that was recent? last year. Oh, just last yeah, year? Yeah, last year, yeah. Oh. yeah. Alrighty. Well, maybe Chris Riggle will grab one when Sunderland hosts Fulham whenever that game is scheduled. Also going to replays, you've got Blackburn, Birmingham, Ipswich and Burnley, Fleetwood and Sheffield Wednesday, which means those two teams will face each other four times in the space of 43 days. And also, ooh, Lee Two Grimsby, who drew 2-2 at Championship Luton. All right. Well, uh, more to come from the Cup and other things too after this. We're all driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. According to their own survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Remember the last time you were hiring and how slow and overwhelming it was? Well, you don't need to go through all that again. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. And because you listen to the Totally Football Show, Indeed is going to give you a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash totally. That's I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash totally. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed at Indeed.com. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson, sponsored by LiveScore Bet. You can get the latest football betting odds at LiveScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. It's transfer deadline day, Tuesday, everyone. Happy transfer deadline day. 
Restaurants will all be booked, forecourts are out of flowers, but even if you haven't made plans with your partner, you can stay up to date with the Athletics Deadline Day blog. You involved in that, Liam? I hope not, but maybe. <laughs> be a nice quiet evening otherwise. Um, no, we'll see. Tim, Probably. you've been drafted in for the blog? There'll be some... Spurs absolute nonsense going on till the last right. seconds of the deadline. Pedro, so, is Pedro yeah. Porro in out hokey cokey? Uh, it was on last night and now it's off today, so we'll see what's, what's happening tomorrow. All right. I mean, that, that's pretty much what deadline day is it? Sitting around and then maybe a flurry of. The way this transfer window's gone, though. Nottingham Forest are also prepared to do their bit for live blogs around the world. Um, Excellent. It looks like they'll sign John Joe Shelby from Newcastle today. They're also after Kaylor Navas on loan mm-hmm. from PSG mm-hmm. and uh, Felipe, central defender from Atletico Madrid, potentially. Um, yeah, we assume they wanted some pace in the back line, so I'm glad they're going for Felipe. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a hard one to work out. They will also they will also be linked to at least four different Brazilians over the next two days, none of which you'll have heard of. Excellent. Among names that we have heard of, Enzo Fernandes, who Chelsea are back in for, somehow. Uh, Moises Casado, where is Arsenal had a bid rejected, Liam? Is that right by Brighton? What's the latest on that? Yeah, I believe they had a couple of bids rejected. Um, Tony Bloom keeps coming back and saying he's not for sale. Um, he got... He wasn't like dropped. I, th- I think it came out that like he supposedly like didn't turn up to training or whatnot. It was rather bright and said, you know, don't come into training. And stuff got reported at like half ten. They hadn't turned up, which was good because training started at eleven. Um, so yeah, the can be quite hard to track the legitimacy of things. I think, but uh, I expect Bloom now to very much stick to it. I mean, Arsenal if they'd come in maybe two or three weeks ago, might have had a bit more success. But I think you, you come in last couple of days of the window, um, you're going to have to pay a ridiculously extortionate fee, um, or it's going to be a, a very firm no. Okay, so you think he might be staying at Brighton then? I'd be surprised at this stage now if he goes, just because of how late in the window it is. Um, I, I just, Tony Bloom, for anyone that doesn't know, is literally a professional gambler. Um, so I just I can't see him backing down from this. I see. Gordon, Anthony Gordon has gone, as mentioned before, from Everton to Newcastle for £45 million, which seems like a lot. Producer Charlie asking the question, uh, Everton have a history of selling academy products to top clubs. Is this one more Rooney or Rodwell? Tim, your take. Uh, I mean, it is a lot of money, although they were they were talking about £60 million in the summer, so it's come down a little bit after his after his average season. Uh, I, think, I think he's got a lot of ingredients to do really well. I mean, he's... He's versatile. He's two-footed. He's incredibly hard-working. The end product's been a massive issue for him. Um, Eddie Howe's got a really good record, recent record, certainly of, of of taking young talents and improving them. So I think he's. I think it's the right environment for him to go in, which you wouldn't have said of of Newcastle in the past, but it does feel like it's a good place for him to be going into. He's annoyed the Everton fans in recent weeks, and and yeah, like I said, there hasn't been training in recent days. Um, so you think a nice. A lovely, heartfelt sort of farewell message on on Twitter, you know, might might help. Um, he did a couple of a couple of um, pages of notes on his tweet, a, a tweet that no one could reply to, by the way, because he was obviously fearing uh, getting a bit of stick. Um, but the line that really stuck out in this farewell message was, um, "Stick by the team because they need you," um, which uh, for, <laughs> for a guy who's scarpering halfway through a relegation battle to Newcastle didn't quite strike the right tone, I don't think. There you go. All right. Well, uh, transfer deadline day is on Tuesday. Today, Monday, 30th of January, is, by the way, the anniversary of 
the day in 2008 when Cristiano Ronaldo scored a free kick for Man United. Do you remember that day? Do you remember where you were when Cristiano Ronaldo scored a free kick against uh, Portsmouth, it was? I think the two brave guys are Park and Carrick here, because you think he might smash it there. He smashed it into the back of the net. It gets even better for Cristiano Ronaldo. I remember it feeling like a new type of free kick, what became knuckleball, and then we quickly realised that there was less control on those free kicks than anyone wanted, despite how many times you tried it over the next 15 years. Did he try it often? I wasn't keeping track. Yeah. <laughs> OK, anyway, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, who's now attempting such set-piece magic over in uh, that country. Uh, United, without him, were 3-1 winners this Saturday against Reading. Uh, a brace from Casemiro and then fancy footwork from another Brazilian, Fred, making it three. Who was that Reading number two who looked a lot like Andy Carroll? <laughs> the, my my favourite moment of the FA Cup weekend was the still of Andy Carroll's tackle that was awful and he's in mid-air and that wasn't one of the two tackles he got booked for. Um, a man on a mission, it's just that that mission was uh, read wrongly or delivered badly, I think. Mm. Oh, well. Nice work from United, though, who've now won 11 of their last 13 in all competitions. Uh, on Wednesday, they've got another cup game. It's the second leg of their League Cup semi-final. They're 3-0 up against Nottingham Forest, of course, in that. Who's loving Ten Hard's work? I, there's always been a lot of clamour, I think, at United, or particularly from United fans, for you know some form of attacking identity. Um, and I think we're seeing a similar approach now to what Arteta's done uh, at Arsenal. Just obviously, there are a few years sort of further down the line of uh, implementing a consistent shape. You know, they've brought in, I think, really sensible players. They've really strengthened up the central areas of that team. You're looking now often having Casemiro. I know I think Eriksen left left the ground on crutches, um, mm. and he's now again getting the sort of criticism he apparently, I'm told, he got to Ajax for not rotating. Um, enough and sort of sticking to that that core too much but um, no, he's got Marcus Rashford back into what is the form of his life right now or at least the form that he looked for a couple of years like he was never going to find him again um, and you see that as early days with sort of one sort of major um, chance window so far so you think with, with more time someone who had quite a disastrous start, you know, only sort of now you look back and you go, oh, it's only two or three games and they've really picked up since. But I remember back in the summer, people thinking that, you know, they were really still sliding off of a cliff, even with sort of Ten Hag at the helm. So, um, no, it's I think it's refreshing to see clubs bringing in a, a head coach or a manager. Um, things not always going immediately smoothly, uh, but now having sort of long-term success. And I think it's hopefully going to be now a blueprint or a recipe for other clubs to look at and go, OK, we're not just going to sack this manager early on or we maybe need to give a bit of trust and a bit of time um, I think it'll be interesting to see Spurs what they do in their long term future now with United being another team that have brought in a coach recruited I think a bit more smartly um, and have, you know sort of now looking at having possibly some long term success they're, they're what one game from a final now um, and they're really pushing for, for top four so um, I think success by their standards yeah yeah, absolutely. What eleven wins in the last thirteen, which I think dates back to the day Cristiano Ronaldo left. What's the parallel you're hmm. making with Spurs then that they should stick with with Conte, or they should get in a manager and back him in the transfer window? I mean, either really stick with Conte, or you know, and align your recruitment, or look for a new head coach, sort of more long term. Um, I see why, sort of, you know, post Champions League, um, they brought Mourinho in and they brought Conte, and I think there was a real desperation to early on, or, or you know, quickly win some trophies whilst your talent was good. Kane is 
probably still in his peak years, which have gone on for a long time now. Maybe he's off the other end of that from a few years ago when he was scoring like 35, 40 goals a season in all competitions. But um, I think their next head coach, whenever they choose to have it, is really, really going to be interesting. Okay, I mean, it might not be their choice the way that the noises are surrounding Conte. Mm. But Tim, they did back him in the transfer window, didn't they? Haven't they spent a lot of money and bought in loads of fullbacks, which were meant to be the kind of thing that he would suit his football? Um, Heavy sigh. Well, they they brought in a right wing back last summer in Jed Spence, who's one of the most exciting players in the championship last season, but wasn't a Conte sign-in. So that's, you know, it's it's pretty simple to me. You you, you align your director of football or your head of recruitment with your head coach. You give them some money to spend and you formulate a plan over the medium term. Um, That's just not happening at Spurs. I, I, I can't see Conte staying beyond this summer. I mean, you know, Liam sort of alluded to it there. They brought in Mourinho and Conte to, to win a trophy, no matter, no matter what the football. And that's just not happened. It's not happened yet. I, w- I would say the FA Cup is opening up a little bit. I mean, mm. out of the top 13 teams in the Premier League, only four are guaranteed to be in the next round with a couple of replays to come. So if Spurs get a favourable draw, then yeah, that trophy drought. It's, it's not. It's not going to happen, obviously. But but it it, it, it it could. We have to say it could. All right. And they've got Milan in the, the Champions League, who are a shower at the moment. So mm. yeah. Anyway, uh, back to this weekend. This Tuesday already. It's Newcastle Saints. Golly, that was quick. Saints, of course, one uh, 0 down. Looking to turn that around. Up at St James's Park, they were winners this weekend again in the cup, uh, the FA Cup. Uh, in this case, against Blackpool, where James Ward Prowse rested. Still got a couple of uh, free kicks. Uh, Roman Perrode absolutely blasting one in, which looked like an extraordinary effort until we saw the replay and how uh, the uh, Blackpool uh, wall had kind of made themselves absent at the crucial moment. I had heard the news already, but had then forgotten. So when I watched this on Match of the Day and saw Mick McCarthy on the touchline, um, I sort of did a weird double take. And I was like, oh, yeah, of course, Mick's back. Um, Mm. So, yes, that was... It's nice. Nice to see him back. I hope Blackpool stay up this season. So, yeah. All right. Villa vanquishes Stevenage of League Two, gave Stoke of the Championship a bit of a scare. Uh, but eventually, Alex Nilside ran out 3-1 winners. Tim, you threatened to talk to us about Warsaw Leicester earlier on. Yeah. Uh, good game, actually. I was uh, Yeah, Midland, Midlands derby. Uh, nice to see the, the best got full for what must be the first time in a few years. I, I said the best got. It's called the Poundland Stadium now, sorry, to give it its, its correct title. Um, yeah, Warsaw stayed in the game for 94 minutes, which was a fantastic effort. And Michael Flynn, who people might remember, you know, did a really good job in Newport and caused a few cup shocks. I think he's been there a year now and he's really getting them going. Um, but this, yeah, this game was sort of defined by Warsaw's incredibly agricultural uh, tackles. In the space of a minute early in the second half, uh, Warsaw player Hutchinson goes completely through Dakar in the box, gives away a penalty, which Tielemans um, hits against the post. Almost a perfect penalty, but yeah, he didn't score it. And then a minute later, um, Warsaw's Wilmot absolutely crunches uh, Thomas with a, 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 a perfect two-footed tackle. I'm sh- absolutely no doubt it'd be given as a yellow card in the Premier League. But it, it gets let go and then he crosses for Williams who volleys over. So Warsaw should be 1-0 up at this point. Um, I mean, Leicester fully sort of earned and merited their victory, but it did come via a, a huge slice of fortune. I, I don't know if this has officially been given to Ian Acho, who, incredibly, as I said during the commentary, has scored more FA Cup goals than any 
player since since he scored his first one, which must be for Man City a few years ago. So he's got a remarkable record in this, in this tournament, but this is not his goal, I'm sorry. If you watch the replay, the M6 is just behind this goal, um, and it's, 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 heading for, it's heading for the M6 northbound, and then it takes a massive deflection and sort of loops over the keeper, but... Yeah, Leicester. For all their problems, they really look, they really look like a team in this because Warsaw gave them a, a hell of a fright, and um, I was really impressed with their attitude. If you remember a year ago, they got absolutely leathered by Forest. I think at this stage, and Brendan Rodgers completely called them out for a, an awful mentality and professionalism. Whereas a year on, you know, it looks like they're very inconsistent, but it look it looks like he's he's still keeping them afloat anyway, and they're still playing for him. All right, and the other positive, the return of James Madison whose absence has been uh, off-credited for their recent slump. Uh, Leeds were 3-1 winners away at Accrington Stanley. They have through to the fifth round for only the third time in the last 20 years. And Bristol City didn't get a penalty, which I think their fans are going to be happy with. No, I mean, once you've invested that much time and effort into the website and making that part of your supporter identity, last thing you want is a referee coming along and actually kind of making you like every other team. There's no point wasting it in a 3 0 win, is there, in the cup? Yeah. <laughs> Save it for last minute, 1 all, 89. Uh, a 3 0 win against West Brom. Uh, this despite the loss of their striker, Antoine Semenyo, who joined Bournemouth on Friday for 10 million. I missed that. Uh, does anybody know much about Semenyo? Yeah, he's he's got a, a, a really interesting story in that he's come, he's, he's broken into the Garnet Garner squad, but he's. I mean, he's, he was basically playing non-league football in 2018, I think. He, he came through Bristol City's Youth Academy, uh, was loaned to kind of Bath and Newport and suddenly started scoring goals for, for Bristol City. And he's a... Yeah, he, he, they were in talks with, with Palace, I think, wanted him. And I think it's a pretty good deal for Bournemouth. It's 10 million. It means if they go down, they've got probably what they'll hope to have one of the best strikers in the championship. And if they do need to sell Dominic Solanke at that point, then they've got his replacement already. So, yeah, he was um, he was named in, in Ghana's squad for the World Cup, which is an a incredible story, really, given, as I say, where he was three or four years ago. He's still only 23, I think. So, yeah, so got room to grow. Very nice. OK, Bristol City are through to the fifth round. The draw for which, as mentioned, will be happening Monday night before Derby take on West Ham before... Daniel here. Mm, yes, mm. going to behind enemy lines on Monday evening. On a Monday Crikey. evening. There you go. There you go. I think I'm I'm touting this one as an upset. Derby in really good form. You know, there's a there's a good feeling back around the place, which there was always going to be, given that the club got saved. But that's now being reflected on the pitch. And West Ham look, they look quite one and a half eyes on league form. I think on a, a Monday night. So I'm I'm hoping for an upset. Excellent. Well, we'll catch up on that on Thursday. Before that, of course, Tuesday, we've got that Euro show bags to talk about in that. But uh, that brings us to the end of today's Totally Football. Many, many thanks to Liam, to Daniel, to Tim and producer Charlie. Producer Charlie's heading off, listener. He's got family biz for the next couple of months, really. Haven't you, producer Charlie? Uh, So best of luck with that and best wishes. And uh, we'll be back, though, on Thursday. So, listen, I hope you will be too. And we'll speak to you then. Bye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Discover bonus video content by searching for The Totally Football Show on YouTube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. 
The Totally Football Show is an athletic media company production and sponsored by LiveScoreBet. Get the latest football betting odds at LiveScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. The Athletic.